What companies would you want to work for? Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the prestigious Just Capital 2024 seal. Bank of America is ranked number one in the banking industry and number one for their ongoing commitment to workers, offering best-in-class benefits, including a minimum wage of $25 an hour by 2025. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. Football Saturday. Little technical problems there, getting the show started just a little bit late, but we got a big show for you today. Second signing day was very, very low key this past week. Not a lot of splash. We're going to look into where the national picture stands right now as we head into the 2022 or ending up the 2022 recruiting class. We got a bigger, much bigger story out there in college football. That's the uh, use of name, image, likeness. Nobody really knows where this is right now, and. I kind of go back to the old statement when you don't exactly know what to do if you're trying to build a program or keep a program going without question. He who hesitates is lost. That's what I found out in all the years that I was coaching and following college football. You better not stand still and you better not be moving backwards. And if you're standing still, you're moving backwards. So the players, I think when it's said all along, and I'm talking about the players as in the programs, the coaches, the football The football programs, uh, all of those, uh, that's uh, that. the ones that are moving forward are the ones that are going to get to where they need to get. So where's the rules committee right now on flopping? We're going to talk with Tom Ritter about that just a little bit later in the show. Transfer portal, next up for many programs. You can replace seven, as we know, uh, that you have lost in the transfer portal, but you got to stay under the 85. All these topics and much more on today's show, plus well, with basketball heating up, you know, we're into February, heading towards March Madness. Bill Justice at 1030, talking hoops on that. Tony Barnhart, Tom Ritter, also on today's show. But I want to start with talking about the second football signing date this past Wednesday. That ended up the 2022 class, for the most part. There's still a few players out there that will be signed, prospects that will be signed, but not many. So how the schools do? Where do the programs stand at the end of the 2022 signing class? And kind of interesting as we look at it right now. Now, the rankings, uh, there's several groups that do the rankings on these. Uh, you got uh, ESPN. You got what, the rivals. So I'm trying to put all this together. Uh, kind of difficult. You know, some have I'm a little higher, some have a little lower. But this is essentially where we are in the country right now, college football, and also in the Southeastern Conference. Interestingly, without question, all of the uh, all of the uh, uh, groups that that do this have in the, the rankings uh, all the same in this as A and M, Alabama, and Georgia, well ahead of everybody else. Ohio State in there a little bit, a few others down below. Just think about this: there's somewhere around and different again different uh companies do it at, at different ways different websites different groups and d- different recruiting services but there's roughly 30ish five star players in the country roughly that's kind of the way that uh uh most of them have it right now just think about this 14 of those 14 of those are go to the top three schools. So roughly 50% of all the five stars that were ranked this year by the recruiting services, roughly 50% went to three schools all in the Southeastern Conference. A couple of other things looking at this, just kind of tell you where we're heading now. These recruiting services certainly are, are, uh, are, are fallible. 
they are not all, you know, a hundred percent. Uh, they're not even close, but they do give us a really good look. If you go back and look at the rankings in the past, the rankings in the past, the top programs that do the best job in recruiting, they're the ones that have been in the playoffs the most. Every now and then you have one or two that's not. Cincinnati would be one this year. But by and large, if we take a look at these and keep keep in mind that they are recruiting services, they are their opinion, but they do a good job of it, and they get a lot of their information from these institutions, universities, and these programs around the country. Uh, they're, they're pretty darn close. They at least give us a good snapshot of where we are right now. Just think about this. Top 33 rankings, all right, the top 33 ranked programs. All 14 Southeastern Conference teams are in there. Think about that. 14, so not quite half. But if you add Oklahoma and Texas, who had top 10 programs, we got 16, or right at 50% of the top 33 recruiting classes. That should tell you where where things are right now. That's where the college football is being played at its best. Some others that slip in there without question, Ohio State, Penn State, Notre Dame, Michigan, Clemson, North Carolina, they're all up there also. But by and large, the 14 programs that are in the Southeastern Conference and the ones that are coming into the Southeastern Conference pretty darn quickly make up right at half of those top 33 rankings on that. We're going to take a look at some of that today. We're going to discuss where those programs are, uh, and we're going to talk about where they're headed, and we're going to talk about where college football is headed. Just want to throw in there real quickly. I'll be talking about this in future weeks. I did a little work on it this week, but don't have it quite all down. A lot of uh, consternation out there, a lot of concern, quite frankly. Uh, the Olympics are going on right now. And as we know, uh, and if you've followed the Olympics closely, if you're a college fan as well as an Olympic fan and maybe even a pro fan, you know that uh, that the great majority of Olympians – are are in colleges. They either come out of colleges or they're in colleges. So the college framework, the college network, the college athletic network is big when it comes to the Olympics. There is a lot of concern in the Olympic sports circle, those sports that actually play, uh, you know, that, that athletes come from, gymnasts, track, all those different types of things. There's a lot of concern now What how name image likeness is going to affect that. So as we... Uh, as we get into future shows, I'm going to be talking more about that. A couple of studies been done. It's concerning, and from simply from the money standpoint, we all know where the money is in college athletics. We know where it's generated. It's generated by just a couple of sports, three in some instances. But the money that's generated from those sports, those three, the money-making sports, are the ones that really support all the other sports at most universities. There are, are a few other programs at a few other universities, but by and large, most of what we refer to as minor sports or as Olympic sports, not minor from the standpoint of importance, but minor in the fact that they're not the major contributors to the university. Many of them don't bring in any money at all. Many of them cost money. But those are, are available, and the, the link that you can go into strengthening those sports come from the sports that make the money, that bring in the money, uh, that that uh, that that keeps everything going in an athletic department. We will be talking about that, and there's some concern on that. And name image likeness has the potential of uh, of hurting that part of it. 
again, more on this as as we go through uh, uh, future shows, but uh, uh, doing some reading on this and looking at it closely. And another big concern out there is there is a push. Where, where are we headed when people start making money, start making actual cash as where we are right now uh, or headed and, and in well the, the uh, early stages of athletes being able to do that? As I've said before, I'm all for it. And I don't know what if you could put limits on it. I don't know if you should put limits on it. If I was a coach, I'd probably have a little bit more concern than uh, than if not. But bottom line is this: uh, if 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 anybody in this country starts making money, then you have tax issues, and then universities are going to have to face the fact that they well may have to declare athletes who are making money as employees. Well, that. That, that's an area they certainly don't want to get into. More of that as we go just a little bit uh, down the road. All right, let me talk just a couple things uh, here real quick. We're going to get Tony on here. Uh, quick. Well, let's do this. Uh, Mac, we ready to take a break? Let me let me take a break, and then uh, I want to come back. One of the things is, as you look at the 14 SEC coaches right now and where they are in their tenure, now, we have two coaches who are brand new this year or will be brand new in 2022, Kelly and Napier. Of course, Florida and LSU. Heupel, Beamer, Harson, and Lee are in their second year. And then Kiffin, Leach, Pittman, and Drinkwitz are in their third year. So 10 of the 14 programs, 10 of the 14 coaches at those programs are relatively new. Uh, it takes at least three, if not four years, to get a program close to where you want it. So the great majority... Of this, uh, uh, of this uh, Southeastern Conference, of this league, are coaches who have been at their programs going into their third year or less. Of course, you got Saban, you got Smart, you got Fisher, you got Stoops who are, who are all up there, and all those had pretty darn good recruiting years. Certainly, Saban, Smart, and Fisher, their respective skills. Mark Stoops had a good year also at Kentucky. We'll kind of work that in also. All right, quick break. When we come back, Tony Barnhart will be able to join us. Let me tell you about Delta Dental. You heard me talk about them a bunch. If you have dental insurance or if you have, well, access to dental insurance, super. Hopefully you'll take advantage of it. If not, if you're self-employed like I am, as I've said in the past, when I was working for someone else, owned my own business, I had dental insurance. When I become self-employed, did not have it, went to Delta Dental of Tennessee and felt a plan that was right for me. They got a myriad of them there. They have one that's right for you. Check them out at deltadentaltn.com. Trouds Barbecue and Tennessee Steel Haulers. Tony, how are you today, my friend? Doing well, Doug. Beautiful day here in Atlanta. Well, it is. It is. I've been uh, started the show talking about uh, uh, the 2022 recruiting, which is kind of officially over. Uh, I guess there's still a few out there that a few schools have to get. Of course, transfer portal a different situation kind of wanted to start with that tony again another big haul for the southeastern conference and another big haul for the three teams at the last couple of years texas a&m this year as listed as number one but alabama georgia all right there also the the rich get richer uh and uh one one of the things that i was mentioning as i went to break kind of interesting when building programs uh 10 going into next year Ten of the fourteen coaches in the Southeastern Conference will be in entering their third year at best. 
we got uh, four in their third year, four in their second year, and two coming new coaches coming in. But kind of interesting, three of the four. And Bob Stoops had it, or excuse me, Mike Mark Stoops had a good year at Kentucky also. Mm-hmm. But you got three of the top three right up there in the. It was Saban, was Smart, and Fisher, Texas A and M, Georgia, Alabama. All one, two, three again. Uh, that's how you build a program. That's how they've all built their program. And uh, that's why they're going to remain at the top of the programs until somebody starts recruiting like them. A thought or two, please. Well, it, 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 it's it's clear that what you want, you want some stability in your program. That That's what it's all about. You can't be changing coaches every two or three years. Not only does it affect the continuity of the people in your program, but it affects recruiting. So, you know, Nick Saban's been there 15 years. Kirby Smart will be on his seventh year next year. Mark Stoops, as you mentioned, and that and that is what you want. That is what you shoot for. And um, some schools have found it tough to do, but it is fascinating that 10 of the 14 coaches have been there three years or less. That's, that's got to be as young as this conference has been since certainly since they went to divisional play in 92. Well, no question. We're going to get in. I'm going to get into Tony talking about a situation uh, down at Auburn that, uh, that, that that's kind of looks like it's heating up down there. But uh, we'll save that for just a little bit later. But this is one of the things that are really uh, interesting and, and uh, uh, concerns me about about uh, college football and, and particularly in the Southeastern Conference. Tony, uh, athletic directors and presidents, those are the people or, and or chancellors, depending on where, what your system is, uh, those are the ones that select uh, certainly alumni, uh, key alumni, certainly board members in some instances getting involved, but it's pretty much the the president uh, and the athletic director. And in most instances, uh, the, the presidents acquiesce to the people that they hire to be the athletic director. But sure. cont- continual change like this, I mean, it's, it's – uh, you know, at all these programs, you know, there's reasons why for some of them, obviously. But if you just sit back and look and take a business approach to it, the reason that Alabama and Georgia, yeah, they have great recruiting areas, no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. And they got really good coaches. But guess what? There's four or five areas in this, this conference that can recruit just as well as those two programs can. A&M is up there uh, now. Now, they, A&M has not had the success Certainly, that uh, that Alabama and Georgia has. That's the next step, quite frankly, for Jimbo Fisher. I mean, having a top class is great, but you better produce with it. But kind of have a look at it. Let's just kind of look at it. And I want to tie this in with with uh, with the transfer portal part of it. You cannot, I think any any coach that's been around, any administrator that's been around and trying to build a program, you cannot build a program with transfers. All right, you can supplement and you can get your program going with transfers. I mentioned last week there's only two programs in my memory of 50 years of following college football. Southern Cal did it pretty well, and Kansas State certainly did it pretty well, but very, very few. But let's just kind of look. Alabama this year, Georgia, and A&M, the three top teams. A&M and Georgia signed 29, 29 prospects now. We're not going to get into the 25 part of it. Believe me, they'll be able to work them in there. Alabama signed 24. All of those will probably bring in, Tony, maybe one or two transfer portal guys just to kind of supplement. On the other end of it, let's just look at – and these are newer coaches. Let's look at what Florida and LSU, two top programs, did. LSU signed 15 high school players 
All right, 15 freshmen come in. They've got roughly 10, though, 10 transfer portal guys in. Florida, 17, and five or sixes, and probably will bring more in. But so the point is, get your coaches in place. Give them an opportunity to work. And I know sometimes you have to work through some tough situations, but it doesn't work very well going the other way where you don't give them time. And, if you, hey, if you make enough mistakes, I would say this, and we're going to – let's just get right into it. Auburn, if you've been reading about that, I don't know how in the world that athletic director don't even know his name. I don't know how he can keep his job at Auburn if they have to make a change with Brian Harson. Alan Green is the athletic director at Auburn, was hired, uh, I think, four years ago. And, I mean, Doug, let's, let's just be honest. Everybody understands what has been going on at Auburn. Alan Green wanted to hire uh, Brian Harson away from Boise State. There were You, you mentioned uh, key alumni who support the program, and there were some key alumni who wanted to go in another direction. And it was a very difficult season at Auburn. They, they, they start six and two, and they're in good shape, and then they lose five straight. And I think you make a very good point, Doug, is, is I think Alan Green's situation is tenuous right now. I think we're going to find something out in the next oh, 48, 72 hours. And uh, if they have to make a change, that is, that is not good for Auburn, and it's certainly not good for Alan Green, the athletic director. Well, one of the things, and of course, I'm a little bit more tied in, obviously, up in Knoxville, but I think this goes everywhere. Uh, I do not, have not appreciated at times the importance of an athletic director in a football program. Uh, I I think I have, but I've even underappreciated. The fact of the matter is you make a bad hire in the athletic director, uh, your, your athletic program is in trouble, and especially your football program. Now, I, I, Green may be a great hire. I'm not saying that. But but bottom line, let's just kind of talk a little bit about what's going on down there. Uh, don't want to spend a lot of time on that. I'm not into uh, – I don't like doing rumors on this show. That's why I didn't even want to start the show with it. But everybody's talking about it now. Recruiting's over. Spring practice haven't started. Tony, it's uh, it, it's uh, it's a kind of a thrill a minute looking on what's going on down there. In the next, four, what, 24, 48 hours ought to tell us something. The head football coach is out of town. Uh, nobody's really talking much about it publicly, and yet some of the key people that we know, you being one of them, but the Chris Lowe's and the other folks in this business that do a great job of investigative, it's, uh, it, it doesn't look good down there for Brian Harson, does it? No, but look, yes, uh, it doesn't look good for Brian Hawson. Let, let's let's just look at the facts, Doug, rather than <clears throat> rather than speculate. Since the end of this season, now I told you how the season ended. Ended with five straight losses. They had Alabama beat, let them slip off the hook. They, so they ended with five straight losses. That's number one. Number two, since the end of the season, depending on how you count it, eighteen between eighteen and twenty players have entered the transfer portal. That's a fact, all right? Some of those players have been interviewed by media outlets and have been very critical about the way they were treated by Brian Harson. That's a fact that they said that. Also, be fair, there are players who have supported Brian Harson. all right? So that's another, another fact. One, since the end of the season, they, they, fired, they, they have lost their defensive coordinator, Derek Mason, did a lateral move at best to go to Oklahoma State. Never got a full explanation why. He fired Mike Harson fired Mike Bobo at the end of the season, brought in another OC. That OC just resigned 
for personal reasons. So he's gone through three coordinators in the span of just a few weeks. All of those things are facts. The question is, does it rise to the level? Oh, one other fact. The athletic director, Alan Green, met with several Auburn players last night to get their take on what has happened. So all of those are facts. The question is, Doug, do all of those facts rise to the level that they're going to have to make a change at the head football coach? Normally, I would say you got to be kidding. But based on the weight of all the evidence, they may make a change. Kind of interesting to me. Uh, first off, let me just say this. I'm, everything I'm talking about today comes from it, my, my experience in college, 20 years of college coaching. I was never head football coach. Uh, but uh, just kind of looking at these programs and then watching very closely some of these programs, I don't go a whole, whole lot about what players say. All right. Now, a uh, you know, the right players, yes. Publicly, I don't go – I don't – you know – Listen, I, I coach enough guys that probably would like to see me fired, and I coach enough that probably would like to see me, <laughs> me moved up. Uh, but but bottom line is, you know, if you're playing, you tend to have a little different view of of your coach if you're not playing. Uh, all of us think, including me when I was a player, I thought I was the best player to, at that position, may or may not have been. But – uh, so that let me kind of set that aside. It, but when you kind of look at and 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 when coaches are leaving this quickly, and yes, I I don't think there's any question, Tony. And again, this isn't fact, but this comes from coaches who uh, are very close to that program. I think when Brian Harson came in, when the athletic director brought him in, he brought him in from outside the Southeastern Conference. The the history of bringing coaches in that have zero experience of either coaching in this league or recruiting in this league uh, is not good. Now there have been some there there's been some some uh, some other examples the other way. Urban Meyer and Nick Saban weren't ever part of this league though they came in and. Between right. them, I think they've got what ten national championships. <laughs> yep. But but uh, it was my understanding the athletic director encouraged and maybe even pushed the fact, Coach Harson, the fact that we need to have some some people on this staff mm-hmm. that have recruited. He wanted to bring most of his staff from from Boise, which is understandable. They were tremendously successful. Uh, I don't th- I don't I, I don't think Mason. I know Mason wasn't a guy that he would have hired, and I'm not sure Bobo was. So that could be part of it on that. But, uh, again, this goes a little bit deeper than that. And then the other thing interesting to me, certainly Coach Harson had to know uh, what the situation could be there. For him to be out of town right now is, is strange to me, quite frankly. Right. There's a quote in the story by Chris Lowe and Pete Thamel that, that caught my attention, Doug, and it's this from Brian Harson. He says, If you hire a football coach, I'm paraphrasing now, if you hire a football coach, then you've got to let him be the head football coach and support him. Now, you're a coach. What do do you read into a comment like that? Well, I think think the fact is that, and I don't think there's any question that he was encouraged strongly. I don't know if it was part of the deal bringing him in that he needed to hire some coaches with Southeastern Conference experience. And listen, let me tell you, Tony, that's not unusual. That, that's, that, that's not unusual uh, because seasoned athletic directors know one of the things that I learned quickly as a coach at, in the Southeastern Conference when I came to Tennessee, and have, this has only been bolstered since then, I don't care 
how good a coach you are. Uh, I don't get care how good a recruiter you are. When you come into this league for the first time, whether you're a head coach or an assistant coach, it is really imposing when you start playing teams that you think you should be beating easily. This is a tough league, and it is a tough league recruiting. Listen, it's it's dog-eat-dog out there recruiting. When you get out there, you better not – your your feelings better not be a part of it, and you be better be ready to tackle in this league. And again, mm-hmm. I, I saw this happen. Quite frankly, just as an example, I saw this happen with Coach Jones, Coach Butch Jones, at Tennessee. He brought a very fine staff in here with him. He was a good coach, and he was a good recruiter starting out. He had nobody on this staff, on his staff, that had any SEC experience. Now they had done exceptionally well at a couple of programs. Uh, you know, Cincinnati and uh, mm-hmm. being the, the latest on that. But the fact of the matter is, by the time he saw that, he couldn't get it turned around. Now, again, that I'm just giving you my opinion on that. You have to have coaches that have coached in this league. Uh, now, I, it looks to me like that's that's maybe what happened. But I, I don't fault the athletic director for that. I, I really don't. Uh, I will say this. I don't think Coach Harson, if that indeed is true, he didn't take this job not knowing that was part of it. Right. Now that might be his uh mm-hmm. that might be his fallback right now. So who knows? Again, those things are just, you know, conjecture. But the facts uh, that we as we know it right now, uh they don't look really good r- r- down there right now. Tony, quick thought on that. Uh well, I'm not even gonna ask you that. I was gonna ask you, I'm not gonna put you in that spot, but Fan bases in this league, fan bases all around the country are, can be tough. In this league, they're really, really tough. Uh, and I don't know, uh, not many of them are patient. If you go back and look, though, at who's been at Auburn the last 15 years and who's not there anymore, uh, go back even maybe 20 years, uh, Auburn's has a fan base that maybe is a little bit less patient or more impatient. Would that be fair to say? I think that is more than fair to say. And, Auburn has a history of drama like this. Uh, Tommy Tuberville's, <laughs> they're meeting Bobby Petrino on the tarmac of, of the airport in Opelika when Tommy Tuberville's still the head coach. Things, things of that nature. It, it has been quite a, uh, quite a soap opera. One last thing, Doug, I'll interject here because I know people have asked me about it. If they were, if they were to make a change, a coach, uh, and do it without cause. In other words, there's no nothing that has gone wrong. They would owe him $18.5 million. That's on top of the 21 they paid Gus Malzahn. Man, oh, man. Well, again, don't know the guy, don't know the situation, but I know what, what history tells me on that. You have an athletic director who has two buyouts at total, what, between 35 and 40 million in, in a, in a two year period of time, uh, you're probably going to get bought out yourself. That just, I guess on that, but again, that, that really doesn't have anything to do with the story. I just thought it was kind of interesting. Quick break more with Tony Barnhart. When we come back, stay right here with us. I'll talk to you about farm bureau health plans. How do you have health plan? Have a health plan? Probably do. Right. Uh, if you, if you don't, you know, grab one, but let me tell you who I changed and looked at when I was looking at a few years ago, uh, as I mentioned in the past, I want to do some, something. I, I, I love doing business in the state of Tennessee and middle Tennessee if I can. Can't always do that. I realize that. 
but I found a health group that was just perfect for me, Farm Bureau Health. They're located right here in Middle Tennessee. They cover the state of Tennessee. And their motto is plan on us. They got a plan that's right for you. FBHP.com. Check them out. And as they say, plan on us. There's a, in Middle Tennessee, we are blessed in a lot of areas that we have so many different fan bases represented here. Uh, we got a lot of Big Ten folks down here, moved down in here. A lot of Ohio State and Michigan and Wisconsin and Penn State and, and others. Uh, but we and we got a lot of Southeastern Conference folks here. We got a lot of Texas and Oklahoma people that have moved in here also. Uh, but and I've said this over the years, and I mean it. Uh, of all the time that I was coaching, the eleven years in the Southeastern Conference, Auburn was always a, a game that I loved to go to because of the uh, uh, their fan base down there. And while they can be over, a little overbearing, as all can be. Uh, I don't know of another fan base that supports their university like they do. Forget about the football and athletic program. They support that university. And, and Tony, one thing about this, this is the great thing about Auburn and why coaches look to go there. Uh, they can reload quickly because they uh, are in and are one of the major players in several of the predominantly top recruiting areas in America. They're wow. close to th- South Georgia, and they hit it hard. They're close to the panhandle of Florida, and they hit it hard. They're close to – they got a big – down in, in the southern part of, of Florida, they got a big base down in there. So uh, I don't feel sorry for them because they're going to get back up there darn quickly. Hopefully it will work out with Harson. Don't know anything about him. Uh, hopefully it will, but whatever. They'll, they'll get that thing turned around down there pretty darn quick, but – all right. Yeah, and Auburn, Auburn's a little less than two hours away from Atlanta. And when they've been good, they've recruited the state of Georgia very well. Obviously, that's the dynamic has changed with Kirby Smart there. And, yeah, you mentioned South Florida. Boy, they've, they've gone into Dillard High School in Fort Lauderdale and gotten a ton of players uh, over the years. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, Auburn will get back, but they're, they're going through a little bit of a rough – the irony, though, Doug, they got the number one men's basketball team in the country. How about that? <laughs> Much to the chagrin of many big orange people listening to the show on that. By the way, that is, that is a, they're fun. You know what? I, I, I uh, the great thing I like about you know football, I look at it completely different. But I love watching other sports. I, I love watching college basketball. It's a fun sport to watch. And uh, I don't, you know, if I if I was six foot six, uh, and the three point shot was around. Uh, I would set the record for number of attempts. I don't know how many of them I'd make, but every time I had one, I'd, ta- I'd take a shot at it. That is such a such a fun game to watch. But anyway, more on that with Bill Justice. Uh, let's hit a couple of other things going on, Tony. Uh, the uh, name, image, likeness. Uh, all right, I uh, I'm going to lead Tony into this. He can uh, he can handle this any way he wants to. Uh, SEC coaches talking. All right. Uh, yeah. there's several of them out there with, I'm putting air quotes around here, talking <laughs> a lot about this league. Tony, here's what I'm betting. And, I, and nobody knows this guy closer than you. I would love to be sitting in the next time they're in Destin. These coaches, all head coaches all get together. Mike Slive is going to walk in there and you talk about a big stick. He is going to be hammered. I, I have never heard coaches in this league talk mm. essentially about other programs in this league 
and talk about what's going on in this league like we have had. The guy on A&M is really talking a lot. I I, yeah. I, I, I want to be, you know, whether he's right or wrong, I'll, I'll get some thoughts yeah. on that here in just a second. But tell me what Mike Slive is going to do at this next meeting because I think you know. Well, we, we go back to when Mike Slive was a commissioner uh, many years ago. You'll recall there was this sort of a skirmish between Lane Kiffin and Urban Meyer. Hey, uh, let, let, excuse me one second. Uh, obviously, yeah, I, I know I'm, talking about, I'm talking about I'm talking Greg Sankey, but yeah, I yes, said Mike Slive. Well, Go ahead. To set, to set up Greg Sankey, I got to tell you a Mike Slive story. Uh, and and Lane Kiffin and Urban were getting into it. Of course, it was over recruiting, and all and there were headlines going back and forth. And so, not too long after that, they had their meeting. They, the all the coaches meet in Destin, and their football coaches, basketball coaches. They have their own individual meetings. And I wasn't in the room, but I know somebody who was in the room. And basically when the coaches walked in, and as a matter of course, the commissioner always meets with each of these coaching groups. They shut the door and Mike Slive, uh, God bless his soul. If you didn't know Mike Slive, Mike Slive was one of the most gentle, caring men you're ever going to meet. But when somebody did something wrong that reflected badly on the conference, he let you know it. He walked in there, he slammed his hand down, said, shut the, you know what, up. And didn't hear another word out of that. I talked I talked to a coach who was in the room and said Commissioner Slide was basically peeling the paint off the walls. I can I feel very confident that either in Destin or before Destin. Commissioner Greg Sankey is going to let it be known to his head football coaches. I don't want to hear any more about it. If you have a problem, you come to me, but I don't want to hear any of this stuff again. By the so, way, uh, that incident Tony was talking about, uh, Lane Kiff at that time was the head coach at Tennessee. And uh, he was at Tennessee yeah. and, and Urban Meyer, of course, was at, uh, was at Florida uh, at that time. And, uh, <laughs> The guy that had the most comment on that was <laughs> this is this is really interesting to me was Steve Spurrier, who at that time was head coach of South Carolina, and I think he probably found it pretty darn amusing that <laughs> that Florida and Tennessee <laughs> were getting chewed out in front of all the other coaches, and he and he wasn't part of it. That's right, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of kind of unusual, <laughs> kind of unusual on that. But no, ser- seriously, you. Doug, you know this from being involved in, in this conference and in coaching so long. You cannot have coaches publicly calling out other coaches. All right, now it's entertaining for those of us in the media business. It's incredibly entertaining. We love it, but if you were running the Southeastern Conference, you don't love it. Well, Tony, here's the other part of it. All this came out, and, and if, if people saw it, fine. If they didn't, you can Google it. Uh, and most bo- folks listening to the show probably know a little bit something about it. Jimbo Fisher came out and, and really it was, I think, no reason to come out and say anything at all. Uh, listen, in, in this league, really, in all of college football, if you have a good recruiting class, 50% of the people are going to accuse you of cheating whether you did or not. Sure. You know, I mean, maybe 75% and about 100% of every other fan base that you're going up against. Uh, so what for him to even say anything, but if, for him to come out and, and essentially go after – uh, he, 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 Hey, he didn't say him by name, I don't think, but he was essentially going after Nick Saban at Alabama for something Coach Saban said. Uh, also, also Lane Kiffin played a role in that as well. Yes. But, but, the, but the thing of it is, is that 
uh, let me tell you what I think will come out of this. First off, I will be when 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 the name, image, likeness stuff is all you know. We've gone through all this, and when they get all the rules in. We're going to go back and look. There are very, very few programs in this conference. There may be a couple, but not many, whose universities, whose athletic departments, whose football coach was not involved somewhat in name, image, likeness. And uh, I think I think Coach Fisher, and I think he does a wonderful job down there, he's going to be eating a little crow on this because if, if he is expecting anybody to believe that he knew nothing about any of these name, image, likeness deals, had no discussions about it, well, he'll be the only coach out of the fourteen this league. Maybe you know that may, maybe there's one other here in Nashville that didn't have anything to do with that. But bottom line is this: I, th- I think he protested too much. Is my point, Tony? And uh, uh, we'll see how the, all that ends up. But let's talk about name image like this. Played a huge part in it. Uh, we're going to see when all the reporting comes in on this what associations with the university. Again, the university is not supposed to have anything to do with it. It's supposed to. The athletic department is not. The coaches is not. But this thing was rushed in so quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was ran through so quickly that all of them had to get involved. I think all this is going to play out in the wash when it's, you know, but this first year, it truly was the wild, wild west out there. And the programs that, really took advantage of it and maybe even pushed the advantage, maybe, maybe went a little bit too far, they're going to be asking for forgiveness. But guess what? They're going to have a lot of good athletes on, on campus because of right. it. No, no, <clears throat> that's exact, exactly right. Because right, Doug, there really are no rules. I mean, there, there's, there's a the rule that says the schools are not supposed to get involved. But other than that, there's, there's really not a rule. And so everybody's going to do what they can until, as you talked about, getting the getting guardrails in place. Here's the problem, Doug. When, I, when all is said and done, the, the folks that were doing this, they were afraid to make any hard and fast rules because they knew if they did, they would end up right back in court again because the courts have told them you can't put any restrictions on this. So somebody asked me the other day, well, when is the NCAA, when is college athletics going to get control of this? Doug, I don't know that you can get control of this. I think you can have a loose framework of how it's supposed to be done, but I don't think you're going to be able to limit how much a a guy can make in the open market. I I can be proven wrong, but based on the stuff that I've read, I don't know that you can control it other than a modest set of guidelines on how this is supposed to be run. Tony, the most ironic part about this to me is this. Uh, there were, what, 17 or so states, maybe it's up to 20, uh, let's just shoot r- roughly 20 states, that their state legislatures enacted uh, <laughs> enacted name, image, likeness rules uh, because the federal government recommended that they do. The Congress is will eventually get around to doing this, eventually. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but they, they'll eventually get there. But the ironic thing is, is that the schools that, or, or pardon me, the states that took the time to do this, that to put name image likeness in place, it ended up restricting them more so than the, the than the states uh-huh. that did not. And essentially what happened at the states that did not have any rules, each 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 program, each university, each athletic program in the state did their own thing. 
That's and right. uh, and when and and some of these were restricted. Georgia's one, Tennessee's one, uh, Texas is one. There's probably others. They were restricted by what they could do by state law, and the other universities were not. That's the ironic part of this. And the coaches are going, wait a minute, wait a minute. You got to get rid of these rules. They're they're killing me on the recruiting trail. <laughs> anyway, all right, interesting stuff. There's, uh, I've always said that the off season. Uh, uh, the off season in college football is is to me a lot more fun than well, I can't say it's more fun than watching ball games, but there's so much, so many things that go on, so many rules that are being looked at, so many talk, people talking about it. So anyway, let's get another break out of the way here. We'll come back more with Tony Barnhart. Tom Ritter will be on with us. Uh, Going to talk with Tom about uh, other rule change or rule changes that will be coming in college football this year. This is a rule change year, by the way. That happens every two years. And then flopping, exactly what was discussed at the national uh, coaches uh, meeting when they had that in January, and what are the rules committee doing? There will be, there will be some, some guidelines on what is considered flopping injury and what is not. We'll talk with Tom Ritter about that. More with Tony Barnard when we come back. Stay right here with us. We'll be right back on Forklift Systems Football Saturday. Tom Ritter will be with us in about 15 minutes, and Billy the Legend Justice will be looking at ball basketball, uh, well, ball basketball and Southeastern Conference basketball, and going pretty good right now as we close in on March Madness. Tony Barnhart with us with uh, another segment here brought to you by Stroud's Barbecue and Tennessee Steel Haulers. Tony, uh, just real quickly on this, and then we're going to move on to a couple of other uh, uh, topics on it. Kind of uh, interesting how transfer portal will play out, and just about like you would e- expect. Uh, as I mentioned, Alabama, Georgia, A and M, uh, there will take few. If uh, they'll probably take one or two, few if any. You got a group of uh, about six or seven teams in there that uh, have twenty twenty one ish. Uh, high school players will probably bring in some more interesting though. And as expected, the two biggest movers, well, the biggest mover right now in the Southeastern Conference is LSU. Of course, they lost a lot of players, got a new coach down there. Florida also hopping into it a little bit. So, uh, those there. And I want to bring in one of the, one other topic. Last week, uh, as, as most f- folks know, Kevin Steele, uh, was on, was on the show with me as we, he was at laying out of football this year. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, uh, w- uh awaiting a, uh, a 2022 season. Uh, so I kind of mentioned last, last week that, uh, I made a little joke about it actually. The fact that, uh, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting tired of, uh, rehabilitating these fired coaches and then having them <laughs> leave my show. Uh, uh, Kevin at that time was rumored to go to Maryland. Didn't say anything about that because, uh, I had a pretty good idea he was not going to go to Maryland. He did go to the University of Miami. He'll be the uh, offensive coordinator down there, uh, Mario Cristobal down there. And, Tony, I just say that that's for this reason. Every single coach that I've talked to, and there's been a bunch of them in this league, I uh, really believe that Miami right now with Mario Cristobal, former player, a couple of national championships, a proven Power Five coach at Oregon, coming back in, one of the best recruiting bases in uh in, in all of the United States, still uh, that Dade County area, Southern, he he can sign twenty players out of within twenty five, well, probably fifty miles of the university there, and be able to compete. And now he's brought in a really top recruiter and a top defensive coordinator. That's a big hire for Cristobal. They had talked in the past, uh, and I, you know, 
I don't know all the ins and outs on that, but congratulations again. He did a great job uh, on this show of explaining things with his experience. But Miami, I think, um, you know, is really headed in the right direction right now. They would they would be of concern to me if I was uh, if I was an ACC school right now. Well, when when Miami hired Mario Cristobal, you know, we, a lot of people said I wasn't. I said. It, it's a huge hire because Mario Cristobal used to be on Nick Saban's staff, went to head, be the head coach at Oregon. He brought an SEC mentality to the University of Oregon, not only on the field, but in recruiting. So for him to go back to his alma mater with his recruiting chops and to get, one again, another, another great, great recruiter, one of the best I've seen in Kevin Steele, also one of the best defensive coordinators working today that's a huge one-two punch and i'll always remember this story doug when howard snellenberger took over at the university of miami i guess it was night 1980 81 in his first staff meeting together with his group he had a map of the state of florida on the wall he went to the tip of florida and went up about a foot and drew a line all the way across the map he said gentlemen this is the state of South Florida. We expect to get every player we want out of this state. And that's where they started. And that's what Mario Cristobal is going to do. ACC Coastal, Doug, ACC Coastal by far has been the easier of the two conferences, two divisions in the ACC to win. So I think Miami is going to be in the hunt and in the hunt sooner rather than later. I've told this story before, but I think it amplifies what you're saying. Back, I think it's uh, 2001, somewhere in there, uh, I, Miami came to uh, uh, Knoxville, and uh, I was at the ball game. It may have been late 90s, some, somewhere in there. They won the national championship whenever whenever that was. And I got a program out, and I, I went down through it and looked at it uh, and, and marked off. Tony, of their 70-man travel squad, 56 of them were either from Dade County or a contiguous county. In other words, they were 50 miles from there. 56 of their players uh, were, were from there. They still have a, uh, uh, you know, they, they got a great name. I've been surprised that they haven't done better. Uh, but fact of the matter is, and they got a guy, and, and one of the things that any coach will tell you that knows Cristobal, he is, yes, I'm going to use that word again, a relentless recruiter he learned from Saban at Alabama that's what he did at Oregon you know everybody talks about what a great job Oregon is it is and, and it is a great program uh, the potential is good but one thing you have to do there you got to travel so darn far to get mm-hmm. players you're not going to get any out of Canada you're not going to get any out of the Pacific Ocean and you're not going to get any out of Idaho next to you. you know? <laughs> so it don't, it don't leave you much place to go. He's now in a place where literally he can spend the great majority of his time cultivating players down there. All right, enough about Miami, but that's a congratulations to Kevin. He's a, a, a coach with him. Uh, he was a grad assistant, came back when he was an assistant coach when I was in Tennessee, known him over the years, uh, and uh, he is a top Top coach. And by the way, just kind of a, a side note on this, he was due $2.5 million from Auburn this year. So a lot of that will be gone away because I don't know how much they're paying Miami, but let's say they're paying him $2 million. So that will give Auburn an extra $2 million if they do have to do something with Harson <laughs> down there. So I guess that's one way to look at it. 
anyway, uh, all right, a couple other things going on uh, around uh, around the uh, Southeastern Conference and, and college football on this. Harbaugh staying at Michigan, uh, and by the way, uh, they're, they had a top recruiting class again this year. They were in the top ten in almost every poll on that. That was kind of a, a little odd deal. I think people made too much about the fact that he wasn't there for the second national signing date. Folks, the second, the the, the uh, February signing date now means nothing. I mean, none of the coaches yes. have to be there because very few of them signed anybody. Some of them didn't sign anybody. But anyway, on that, uh, I think, I, you know, kind of, I thought he might take that job. I'm not sure he had it offered to him, though. Well, that, that was the thing. Everybody said he was going. He went to the interview for the job. And it turns out this is according to reports that the job was never offered to him. So he, he let, oh, Michigan folks, just letting you know I'm staying. So well, I'll, I'll be very, I'll be very anxious to see what their team looks like next year. Uh, I mean, the, the, he, he had a very good team. Obviously, they were no match for Georgia in the college football playoffs, but Georgia was pretty good. But it, it'll be to me, it'll, after beating Ohio State, which is a big, Big hurdle to jump and making the playoffs. What 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 does he do for an encore? Because I think this was a really veteran team he had at Michigan. Don't get into on this show much uh, at all. Uh, try not to any at all. Getting into personal things on this, but I tell you one thing: it does really surprise me. It, it surprises me when any coach, uh, well, it surprises me when any player does if that if that happens also. But any coach. Uh, you know, when you get in trouble for uh, a DUI driving uh, under or mm. impaired, you know, uh, it, it's it's really kind of stupid. You've you got to be stupid to do that right. now with all the potential uh, ways to not get behind the uh, get behind the wheel on that. We had a coach in this conference uh, that was arrested on that, you know, of course, due process and all that. But. Tony, it, it does. Uh, that, that, I know that's one thing that every head coach and every athletic director says. Listen, folks, you're you're under the microscope, and this guy is really under, was really under this microscope. But uh, you know, we all make bad decisions. But good gosh, that's not one of them. With Uber, with you know, every no, every program now. This is one thing I think folk, folks find interesting. You know, every program now they give their they give their players a card. On, and on that card, it has this, the number, cell phone number of coaches, head coach, everybody else. Uh, you know, if, if you are in a situation where you're concerned about whatever it is, call one of these people. And it also has some of the uh, some uh, other ways you can get home if you need to. So, And they talk about it all the time. And uh, yep. anyway, that's, that's unfortunate. Well, it's, it's not well, unfortunate. It's stupid. It's stupid. Yeah. And, and the thing about it is, too, obviously the, the danger – he presented to other people that that's number that's number one it's just it's just done. but the other ones hey you are trying to lead our players to do the right thing and you set an example like that that's crazy it's crazy kind of interesting uh anyway enough about that uh, Tony, let's hit recruiting uh, real quickly again uh, I, I want to just kind of get into uh the if if you look at this league right now and and where the the talent is going, first off, uh, and as I mentioned, I don't think you were on 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 Zoom then or, or were listening in on it, but uh, fourteen, all fourteen of the programs are ranked somewhere in the top thirty five on almost every poll. So 
every team had a, had a pretty darn good year. I mean, somebody's got to be 14th in that, that group. In this instance, it was Vanderbilt. But Vanderbilt had pretty pretty good year on this. Then The next thing now is transfer portal players, and that's where it's going to get interesting on this. Uh, the uh, as, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Florida, I believe, has five or six. Now, I, I, I looked at this two days ago. That may have changed. Uh, LSU has in the neighborhood of 10, I think maybe 10 plus, but now we're going to see some of these programs start cranking that part of it because they know what their, 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 uh, incoming freshman class looks like. And just remember folks, this 85 is the limit. When you hear all these numbers out here, here's the ones that really matter. You at any one time during a calendar year, you can only have 85 players on scholarship, all right, at any one time. Now, of those 85, let's say we're going at the end of this spring, maybe you got 20 that's graduating. Well, that'll put you down to 65. And maybe you got five or six that are leaving. You know, that'll put you down, you know, lower than that. But you can only have 85 at any one time. You can only sign 25 per year. Now, we have some that have signed more than that. There are some ways you can back date some of those, but you're roughly going to be 25, 26, 27, somewhere in there. But the NCAA passed a rule last year because of the transfer portal that for every player that transfers out of your program, you are allowed to bring sign another, doesn't have to be a transfer player, mm-hmm. another scholarship up to seven of those. So just in round numbers, you could have a potential of bringing in 32 players, which is well, that's what 40% of your, uh, it could be f- roughly 40% of your team uh, on that, 45% of your team on that. So I say that to say this, we know, Tony, now we're going to see where some of these players are going to start going now because remember the transfer report players, they want to see who you're bringing in also. Well, all sure. that's pretty much set right now. So I, I think we expect to see a some big movement in transfer portal players now. Which is another reason why they, they, they give you up to May 1st to enter the transfer portal uh, because so many things have been moved around. And, and it, it, Doug, this is just going to be a fascinating thing to watch over the next few years. As you said, what you hope to do is just to be able to supplement your recruiting in the transfer portal. Some of course will do it uh, to rebuild their roster, but yeah, this is, this is going to be an interesting situation to watch. Keep an eye again, and we're talking long-term here. If the school that you follow is bringing in a lot of transfer portal players, mm-hmm. it's because they're in somewhat of a rebuilding mode. LSU may be a little bit different on that because they got so much talent down there. You know, I was, <laughs> who was I talking to? I was talking to somebody, uh, Dave McGinnis yesterday, and then we were talking about uh, the, you know, the NFL. You just, I, I don't even want to get into him right now. You just look at the, look at the players, the skilled players from quarterback to running back to wide receiver that LSU and Alabama has in the, in, in the uh, playing at a top level of the, of the NFL right now. It, it's, it's mind-boggling, quite frankly. Yeah. Those, just those two programs. There's others that have a lot. But, but quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, uh, f- for those two programs in the NFL, I mean, I, I, I would, if I was a coach, I'd have somebody on my staff that coached at one of those two places, or maybe both, <laughs> that could tell me what in the world those two programs are doing right now. But anyway, that's uh, that that's always been of interest uh, to me on that. 
Uh, and what was what was interesting, Doug, is when LSU was going through their issues last year, you would talk to people around the conference, and they, they'd all say the same thing. Hey, let me tell you what, it ain't a, it ain't a question of players, right? <laughs> LSU's got players. Uh, there, there may be some other things going on there, but yeah, it's. Um, I don't think there's I don't think there's any question down there. And again, this is from talking to coaches that have coached there. You know, uh, Orgeron had a specific quality where he was a he was a recruiter, but when he lost his his coordinators, uh, you know, especially his offense coordinator, losing Joe Burrow, I think maybe hurt him <laughs> a little bit too. Uh, yeah, but I think that was more of that situation. You know what I, I, I'll say about Orgeron too? I, I haven't always been a big fan of his. Uh, a lot of it has to do with what he did when he was an assistant at Tennessee, but that's another story. But I'll say this: he was smart enough to know when to get out. Yep. You know, and he uh, he, sure. he he was smart enough to know when when to get out. Tony, give me a final thought on where we are right now, and uh, I'm going to let you get out. Well, we're at an interesting time right now, Doug. Recruiting is over. Uh, there's still a lot of issues on the table in NIL. Uh, I'll be interesting to say, uh, interesting to hear what what they're going to do about the flop issue, because uh, I, I hear from a lot of people on that. I'm anxious to hear what uh, our man, Mr. Mr. Tom Ritter, has to say about that. But there's, there's, you touched on it earlier, Doug. The off season in college football has always been a lot of fun, but I think with NIL, transfer portal, everything else. The offseason is going to be – this is going to be as interesting an offseason as we've ever had. What, two, two, two quotes on that that I always love. One is uh, – and I think I'm getting this pretty uh, – you know, I'm, I follow NASCAR but not real closely. NASCAR used to refer to it as the silly season. You know, they, you had the silly season when they weren't racing. Spurrier had a term for it also, and it was – Talking season. Talking season. Talking. <laughs> and he was talking about coaches. That's right. <laughs> talking season and, and nobody talked Talk. uh, Talk. any more or any, uh, <laughs> I don't know exactly what adjective I would use. I guess it would be to which fan base well, I was talking about. But Well, as soon as spring practice is over, that's when talking season starts. So <laughs> we got to get to SEC media days. No problem on that. Real quickly, I'll just tell you on this, on this flopping deal, Tom Ritter is going to be coming up next, by the way. Uh, there will be, there will be a rule that is put in place. It's not going to be status quo going into next year. Now, exactly what that rule is going to be is, is that's what's going to be discussed now. Ritter's going to be on next. Uh, he, uh, is very close with Steve Shaw. He's talked to a lot of people about this. Uh, if you're interested in, in knowing about where this is heading, we, we call it flopping, but it's, Feigning injuries, I guess, would be the way the NCAA right. would look at it. We're going to talk about that when we come back. Tony, as always, buddy, thanks so much. Thank you, Doug. Talk to you next week. Mr. College Football, Tony Barnhart. Wilson Bank and Trust, that's where I do my banking. They have 29 locations. I have to correct myself. Used to be 28 for many years, and that's 29, the newest up in Galton. It'll soon be 30th. 30, excuse me, the 30th location. Uh, I probably maybe they people know where it is. Let's just say some Williamson County somewhere. Let me let me put it like that. Bottom line is this: so if you're looking for a community bank for any of your community bank needs, and folks, that's the way I was brought up and raised back in Oklahoma. 
We had a community bank. That's the way I've always been. The thing about it is if you need a decision, you can get it done right there in-house. You don't have to run it up the flagpole somewhere else around the country. And Wilson Bank and Trust, in my opinion, is the very best. Wilson Bank and Trust at wilsonbank.com. Tom Ritter joins us. Tom, uh, brought to you by Double Dogs, Hillsborough Village, downtown off Charlotte Pike, the two locations here. And, of course, the newest one in Middle Tennessee, up in Gallatin, also Bowling Green, Louisville, Knoxville, all around the south. Tom, it kind of reminds me, I don't know if you're a Godfather movie fan. I am. That's with a, I probably watched that one so many more times. I can almost quote some of it. But <laughs> it's kind of like with you on this show. Uh, I keep kind of trying to let you out, and I keep then I keep pulling you back in. <laughs> but anyway, uh, let's, let's get right to it. The uh, feigning, injury, flopping, whatever you call it, issue. We discussed it so much in detail uh, last year. Uh, kind of tell us where the, uh, the, the powers that be uh, are in, uh, in trying to put uh, some, I would say, guardrails maybe in place. Give us a thorough, uh, a thorough thought on that because I know you've talked to a lot of people about it. Yeah, we, uh, Doug, I think, you know, without doubt, the football community, which includes fans, coaches, players, athletic directors, everybody has come to the realization that this is a significant issue that needs to be dealt with. Uh, you know, obviously it came into existence, the uh, feigning injuries came into existence mainly, uh, you know, to thwart, you know, a fast-paced offense from keeping their tempo and breaking the tempo and giving their defense time to rest. And, Doug, initially, when the problem surfaced, uh, the the coaches association, I think Coach Barry uh, was the head of that, I, I think, at the time, may still be, uh, you know, he, it was tried, they tried to handle it on a, you know, on a, on a position of coaching ethics and because, you know, you know, and, and that's, that's just hard to define and hard to try to get your arms around. So that obviously did not work. And then last year, uh, the rules committee, tried to address it in some way, but the way they ended up addressing it was no rule change. But if a if if an opposing team or whoever may be watching the game, to be honest with you, felt like there were uh, an egregious uh, attempt to feign injuries, the film clips of that game were to be sent, sent to Steve Shaw, and then Steve Shaw would, would review them, and if appropriate, he would call the athletic director of the school in question and have a discussion with them about, uh, about what was going on. Uh, Doug, that didn't work. And so this year, even though that, that little guardrail, as you called it, was there, uh, Steve Shaw is on record saying, you know, it didn't work. So really the only way to address it, it seems like is going to be with a rule change. And, 
you know, there are several things out there uh, regarding uh, what can be done. Just to let the viewers know, if, if a player is injured, whether it's a real injury or a feigned injury, if a player is injured, by rule, he has to set out the next play. Uh, and he cannot be bought back in with a timeout. So uh, the talk is now that I, I think we'll see incremental rule changes to try to address it. They may not go you know, to an extreme to begin with, but it may be that that is an, is an inevitability. But I think what they're looking at, Doug, is having any player injured, whether he is truly injured, whether people think he is feigning an injury, have him set out the rest of the series. So if it happens on first down, he's got to set out second, third, and fourth. Okay, people are going to say, well, that's what happens if, if he gets injured on, on fourth down. And, you know, so, so the next step would be he has to sit out, uh, injured player has to sit out until there's a change of possession. So, in essence, until the offense uh, completes a drive, punts, scores, or turns it over on downs. So, that's kind of where we are. I, you know, I know. Do you think, Tom, that that's the best right now, the uh, the most likely outcome? I think the most likely outcome will be a series. So you're talking about two or three extra plays maybe. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, my guess would be that still may not be enough to thwart well, let, let's on? let's just talk about that just a second again, and and then again, Tom Ritter's giving us what what he is hearing. Steve Shaw, by the way, is the head of the uh, uh, all the officials in in, in right. collegiate collegiate football, and, and he's also the secretary rules editor of the of the rules. So here's here's just a couple things on this. Unless they think defensive coordinators are stupid, which I don't think they do, they know that this will never work. Uh, now, I, I, if people listen to this show, if I was a defense coordinator, I'd use this thing every time I possibly could until my head coach told me to quit, and then I might even try to push it then until he told me he's going to fire me if I kept doing it. So that's number one. But number two, you know, all you got, you'll all all they'll do is they'll put in a Doug Matthews who's a fourth teamer and let him feign an injury. I mean, you know that 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 that's not going to work either. I don't know what the answer is. It's it's a tough situation, but. Uh, uh but it is yeah, uh, that could certainly, uh, you know, that could certainly be a, a a thing that could happen that would, you know, circumvent whatever rule they happen to put in would would be exactly what you said. And then how do you address it from there? You know, I don't know uh, whether whether the commissioners have enough uh, horsepower to try to deal with it from a conference standpoint or something, uh, you know. Well, here's the problem, Tom. Uh, if you if you really want to get down to the the crux of the problem, there is a problem there. Now, you could argue that it's, you know, I, I know I'm on the very 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 far end of this. Uh, listen, I coached offense and defense. I played offense and defense in college. Uh, but but uh, you know, 
I don't know why the, the, the pace of the game has been determined by one side of the ball. And people are going to say, well, that's the way it is in sports. No, in every other sport, you play both ways. So you have to turn around and play defense after you play offense. But let's, let's kind of set that aside. Uh, but, 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 but the fact of the matter is, is that it, there's not going to be a commissioner. There's not going to be anybody that is going to enforce a rule that could, that could involve a player really being injured and you're right. punishing him. You'd get your fanny sued out of this country. So that ain't, that right. ain't going to happen. So it's, it's, uh, you know, and Doug, and Doug, let me, let me just say this. It's been floated that, you know, maybe give the officials some, uh, uh, power to determine whether or not it's a feigned injury that will not happen. No, absolutely. It will not happen. Number one, we're not doctors. Officials are not doctors. And number two, even if we were doctors, how do you really know at times, unless you see something so egregious and so obvious, but how do you know? You, I mean, you may not be looking at the right spot and all of a sudden you have a player on the ground. So, you know, the, the officials are not going to be put in charge of, you know, making any kind of determination on whether the injury is real or feigned. The most logic thing to me right now would be this. And, and again, this is just one, one person's opinion. Look at the, don't do anything during the game. Take a look, the commissioner or the, or the, not the commissioner, but some the head of the officials in, in let's just take the Southeastern conference, go through every take, you know, have, have every school cut out every single one of these things happen. Take a look at it. You're going to see a, a, where it's clearly clearly fainting in injury and you're also going to see occasionally where you see a, a coach on the sideline telling him to do it then right. penalize those players and or those coaches uh, i would mm-hmm. say penalize coaches because listen none of this fainting goes players don't just do it on their own no. you know they do no. it because a coach tells them to do it on that so right. uh, anyway one quick thing on that i, I didn't want to miss because you brought his name up todd berry uh is the head of the american football coaches association the afca that's who uh uh, that that's who Tom was uh, w- was alluding to a while ago. Uh, as many people know, uh, he was a grad assistant uh, f- for me at the University of Tennessee. Coached at Army. He's, he's heading up that organization. Eighteen thousand plus coaches involved in this, primarily college coaches. Uh, he is in all, on every single one of these committees. He was going to be on with me after the national convention. He contacted a pretty bad case of COVID, quite frankly, and Tom Ritter knows a little about that. Uh, but uh, So he is uh, unable now to come on. As soon as he uh, gets to the point where he can, he's doing much, much better now. He's home now out of the hospital. Uh, and uh, as soon as he... Uh, uh, as soon as he gets, we'll, we'll have him discuss. He's been on all these committee meetings, but certainly uh, uh, Tom Ritter has visited with a lot of those folks too. But uh, anyway, Tom, uh, let me, I wanted to hit one other thing here with you. Got about two minutes. Uh, this okay. is a rule change year. I always, when I call uh, a coach, a coach, I call him Coach Ritter. When I call Coach Ritter, uh, I always talk about the, hey, this is a rule change year. And finally, after being nice to me for about the first, five or six calls he said doug really every year can be a real change real rule year because uh if it has to do with uh, player injury they can do it at any time and tom as you said you can make any rule about player injury including this one i guess oh absolutely absolutely and doug let me give you three potential things that i'm hearing uh number one they're gonna revisit the targeting rule from the standpoint of not what's a foul and what is not a foul, but 
perhaps listen to some of the drum beats out there about having a level one, which would be a, uh, a personal foul, but no ejection. Kind of like basketball. Kind of like basketball. Well, in a level two, yep, uh, would be an ejection. Now, again, that adds more subjectivity, but you know, it, it, it to me, it may make a lot of sense. The other thing, blocking below the waist, uh, they're gonna probably march further down that road of eliminating blocks below the waist anywhere outside the tackle box. Uh, don't know whether that'll get accomplished in full, but uh, that, and then the kickoff rules, Doug, uh, uh, apparently there is still, you know, evidence that on kickoff returns, there is a much higher uh, injury rate concerning concussions than on any other normal play. And so they may go, you know, to the NFL model where the kicking team uh cannot be in motion at the uh, at the time of the kick. They basically have to be within a yard of the uh, point of the kick and can't leave until the ball is kicked. And then also uh, modify on the uh, receiving team side where the players are so that uh, these big collisions don't happen down the field. Boy, that's uh, that kickoff rule. Uh, I think they're eventually going to get to where they they just don't have a kickoff, and there's you know other ways right. that may be determinate. But uh, I don't think many people want that. But uh, it, you're right. That's hey, and hey, it makes sense. If I got a forty yard run and hit somebody, uh, or somebody has a forty yard run and hits me, it it it's a heck of a lot harder than a five yard run to hit me. So anyway. Absolutely. Tom, great stuff as always. Appreciate you, my friend. And uh, I'll probably be calling you again sometime because, like I said, I'm going to keep pulling you back in. All right. Happy to do it and enjoy the rest of the weekend. Quick break. We'll be right back. Talk a little basketball with Billy the Legend when we come back. May 1st, I believe. Uh, is the date uh, you're going to see? Uh, you're going to see players now. Let, let's just take the situation going on down at Auburn. That, you know, there's potential there that some more players might leave. There's going to be other players leave after they see who is uh, who the recruits are that their school that they're at the program that they're at is signed. Now uh, they could. You're going to probably see some other players get in the transfer portal also. So anyway, that will be something that will be in flux. We'll try to stay on top of that. You're going to see many of the programs, uh, again, try to build their program around high school players. And then I think the top programs are going to try to do this. And then they'll use the uh, use the transfer portal to kind of fill in. That's what uh, the better programs have, have done on that, and I'm sure we'll see that as we go through it also. All right. Billy the Legend joining us right now. Bill brought to you by Double Dogs Restaurant. Billy, how you doing today? Doing well, Coach. Uh, getting ready to uh, get my eyes dribbling today. Great basketball <laughs> on all day today inside the SEC and outside, and we'll be talking about both of those today. But, yeah, it, it's we're, we're in full-bore basketball on weekends now. Uh, I've learned so much from talking with Bill over the years about the, the, the uh, you know, I never was really interested in technique. You know, I'm not going to be shooting a basketball or boxing somebody out, but always about kind of how coaches go about things. And, Bill, one of the things that you've talked so much about is, is uh, you know, you, you didn't quite quote it this way. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. But, uh, you know, basketball is a sport that's a tournament sport. It's a sport that's at the end of the year. You want to make 
that you know you can't win the tournament till you get into the tournament. And Bill, how, how basketball kind of uses a lot of the coaches use the early part, December part, but uh, the pre-conference schedule of kind of getting their team. What do they have? Uh, but about now, uh, maybe a little bit before now, you you got to have a pretty good, uh, good, uh, darn good idea of exactly who the players are you're going to be playing in these so impactful and meaningful games the rest of the way. Yeah, about halfway through the SEC season, and, and, and of course, we've talked about this. Basketball differs from football, uh, certainly, because it's, it's a reboot at the end of the year. No matter what your record is, that coach who has a team with a losing record when they go in to play the SEC tournament is saying, this is a reboot. If we want to play in the national championship, we win this tournament, no matter what our record is, and we will get in there. So it, it gives hope all the way through the season uh, until that last time, and, and now you're out. But uh, it, that's the interesting thing about basketball. SEC this year, I think it has been such a great football conference. It's getting to be the same way in, in basketball. Uh, we got six ranked teams now. We've got uh, great competition today between some of those teams. Um, before we talk specifically SEC, uh, uh, noting games today, uh, number eight, Baylor, number 10, Kansas, that game is this afternoon, that's worth noting, uh, always worth noting, number nine, Duke plays at North Carolina, now North Carolina is not ranked, and we don't have Michael Jordan and Zion Williamson, but these two schools are 11 miles apart. Duke and North Carolina, a very special game. Look for North Carolina to probably give Coach K and Duke all they can handle today. That's one of the great rivalries, uh, certainly, in the basketball world. Of course, Duke, uh, Coach K, last year. Uh, where's that game being played, by the way? Do you know off the top of your head? At North Carolina today. I'm sure he'll get a standing ovation. <laughs> <laughs> I say that very much tongue in cheek. <laughs> Don't think he can count on that. Uh, that there, uh, Bill. Uh, let's just kind of look at the national picture here right now, and and it's going to bring in a team that you know so much about and talk so much about. Uh, I was just looking at at. Uh, I, I try to keep up with the for this show with the with the rankings. Man, how many? And I, I should know this, but let me just put it in in play this way kansas or excuse me kentucky's win over kansas vaulted them i don't think i've ever seen a team ex- go so f- from so far down to so high from one ball game that that was an impressive win by kansas or excuse me by uh, kentucky uh, over by kansas. Kentucky. All, all the way to number five uh, they're eight and four uh, but they now have the number five spot i have said this before i really like this kentucky team I think that as the season goes, they're going to get better. He has a little bit of a combination this year uh, in that he doesn't have all guys that are one-year guys. He's got some guys that have come back, so he's got a little more experience than he's had in the past. Uh, very interesting guy. He's a, he's a humorous guy. Uh, he's fun to listen to, and I'm sure he's fun to play for. And, of course, we all know what kind of fan base the, the Kentucky Wildcats have. Uh, they're fired up about this team, I can tell you that. They are at Alabama today, and, and Alabama will give them a tough time. Alabama's one of those teams that's in the also-rans in terms of rankings. Uh, the SEC's got four ranked in the top 25 and two or three more that are also votes. Alabama and Arkansas are, are also voters. 
Bill, uh, Auburn, uh, you know Bruce Pearl well. I know you're a big fan of his, uh, close to him, uh, certainly when he was at Tennessee. Uh, this, uh, are, uh, is it Kansas and, and, and Auburn or Auburn, excuse me, Kentucky and Auburn or Auburn and Kentucky right now as you look at the Southeastern Conference? Absolutely. I think those are the top teams. I think Auburn is, is the number one team. Uh, they are the team that's that's number one ranked in the country. Although there is some argument there that that uh, Gonzaga and Mark Few are getting as many votes, but it looks like Auburn's still on top. Some of the some of the polls and there's different polls have them uh, ranked both at a tie for number one and then jump into number three uh, at at UCLA. But uh, I think Coach Pearl has put put together a tremendous basketball team. He now has a. Uh, a basketball love site in in uh, at Auburn where you know they're totally sold out every game uh so they they but they are at uh, at Georgia this week Georgia being one of the teams right at the bottom of the SEC they're 1 and 8 in the SEC and 6 and 16 overall so you would think that Auburn would be a a very very uh, large favorite in that game Bill, what's happened to Georgia? I mean, that that's there, there's a lot of talent around them. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, you could probably recruit half your team from from the Atlanta area on that. They got a guy, coach down there that's a really thought to be an excellent coach. What in the world's going on down there? You got a thought? And well, I, I do have a thought, and you hit on it, and you know this better than I do because the the richness of of recruiting for the University of Georgia in and around Atlanta, look at what they can do in football. I mean, they're a national championship recruiting team in football. The basketball talent is there, and obviously right now it's not going to Georgia. So it it would just take a a big upgrade in keeping those players at home. You've talked about this a little bit and how important it is for the University of Tennessee to own the state of Tennessee because we have a lot of good football players here. Well, that's the same thing. Uh, that Georgia has in basketball. They're able to do it in football, basketball. Uh, they just have not gotten there. Uh, talk about the conference right now. You uh, you mentioned uh, going in. What, we're not quite halfway through, right? Where are we, about eight nine, eight games now? in, nine, Or are we halfway through in the league? We're, we're nine we're nine games through uh, coming into today. Yeah. You know, we've got uh, every, everything from Auburn at 9-0 to Georgia at 1-8. So, uh, yeah, we're about halfway through. Who do you like? Other that we mentioned, we we Michigan, Kentucky, and and Auburn. Who do you like as we're getting uh, uh, teams you see that are ascending, regardless of whether they're down on the list or, or pretty high up on the list? Who do you see playing at a pretty good level right now? Well, I tell you, I think a couple of teams that are also Rands. I, I still like Arkansas, and and I still like Alabama. I think those two teams have got a, a chance to really surge up and be good. Although, as we've talked about, the SEC is so tough now. I still like Tennessee, and we'll we'll spend the whole day tomorrow talking about them. and And they're at South Carolina today, but there's a couple of things specifically that I want to bring up uh, about Tennessee. Some things that I think, and some things that Coach Barnes has stressed, uh, just as I have. So that'll be a, a nice topic for us tomorrow. So it's just a full good day of basketball. Uh, and it starts as soon as we hang up this phone. My eyes will be dribbling by the time it's all over this evening. 
Bill, we uh, we we've talked in the past, and there certainly has been. It's it's uh, the off. It's a, a much of an offensive game right now, particularly with the three point shot, the athletic building, and everything. But this year, in particular, seemingly in this conference and really around the country, uh, we see uh, better defense being played, or maybe it's just offense not being played quite as well. But particularly in the southeastern conference, there are some really low scoring. Really, you know, when we you know, as fans talk about why can't you know why aren't we shooting better? Well, all that has to do with defense. It appears to me that the defense has really improved in this league. You mentioned Arkansas and Alabama; those are two excellent coaches. There, Tennessee is in that class. Class two. Uh, you have talked in the past, uh, but I think it's even more so true right now. This this is a basketball league now in this conference of really top quality coaches. Yeah, and I think one of the things we're seeing. Uh, all across the country, but certainly in the SEC. The the athletes are so quick and so good now that they can play almost a full court, but more likely a three-quarter court with sort of man-to-man pressure, but not really clamping down until they hit the... the, the halfway court and and when they cross that line it is it is going to be man to man defense pushing the offense out further and further some of the times i'm amazed at how far out the, the three point shooters will go to take a shot because they might give you that out there 4 or 5 feet beyond that arc but if you come inside across court the pressure is on and if you go to any corner you're going to be double teamed. They use the out-of-bounds lines, either on the baseline or the sideline, as another defensive player. You can't go that way because you're out of bounds. So the the defenses are smart enough to know if we pressure you near the line, near the baseline, near the sideline, certainly in the corners, you can't you can't go anywhere, and we can make you turn it over or or the shot clock runs out. So the pressure man-to-man defenses, I think, have something to do sometimes when you start slowly and don't have a real good shooting percentage. That's not unusual to see teams start out slowly and recover as the game goes on to get a little, get a little bit used to the defense and, and play a better offensive game. Bill, last thought, uh, and again, Bill will be back uh, tomorrow uh, on Big Orange Sunday about uh, about 8.30-ish, uh, right around in there. Uh, Bill, the uh, tournament this year, SEC tournament this year, I think four out of five, every four years out of five, it's here in Nashville. Down where, is it in Tampa this year? Is that right? It's down yeah, Florida. It is, yeah. It's in Florida this year. What uh, Thoughts on that? Well, of course, like I said, that's something that everybody goes into it. If, you, if you're if you a top-ranked team, you're getting a couple rounds of buys that you don't have to play, and that's a, certainly a great advantage. But those teams that maybe have not had a real good season, uh, there's no question in my mind the coach is telling them this is a reboot. We have a chance to salvage something for this season, and let's go down there and expect the best and play our best. So it's always a good draw. Tournament basketball, I don't care if it's high school or college or whatever it might be, it's uh, it's it's like playoffs in in a football game in the in, in in the NFL. There's a lot of interest in it. The teams that maybe have been really strong during the year have continued uh, fan base support, and those that don't have good years, the fan base comes back and says, "Okay, reboot. Let's play better." So it's an exciting time. The tournament tournament in the NCAA basketball is probably as well liked and uh, as much watched as anything that we have in college sports. Billy, we'll talk tomorrow. Orange Sunday tomorrow, Tennessee with a big game today, and we'll come back tomorrow and talk about it. All right, talk to you then. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back for a few final thoughts. Stay right here with us on Forklift Systems Football Saturday. 
back in. Uh, a few final thoughts here as we go into the show. Uh, you know, pretty neat uh, situation going on. Pretty neat event that happens every year. The Hovind Garnet Expo, uh, and it's uh, brought to you by Wilson Bank and Trust, one of the primary sponsors on this show. Kevin Sanders joins us today to visit a little bit about that. Kevin, thanks for being part. And, man, uh, another big event coming up here pretty quickly. That's right. We're very excited for our 2022 Southern Home and Garden Expo presented by Wilson Bank and Trust at the uh, Wilson County Farm Bureau Expo Center there in London. It's going to be happening next uh, Friday and Saturday on Friday, the uh, February 11th, and then again on Saturday, February the 12th. This is what the 22nd year. I know this is something that Wilson uh, Bank has been involved in for many years and very important uh, in, in a lot of different ways. But kind of give us a little uh, little little look in, into what uh, what folks are going to be able to see when they go there next next weekend. That that's right. It's free admission, and we have over 90 different local uh, exhibitors there for local businesses from anything home and garden, landscaping, roofing to uh, builders. Anything that's uh, related to the home decor, uh, you'll find something there for yourself there at the show. No charge, and it starts at what time? On Friday, it's from uh, 4 p.m. to 8 p.m., and then on Saturday at 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. All right, and that is at the fairgrounds there, right? That's right. It's at the Farm Bureau Expo Center. Farm Bureau so Expo. We're just excited to, to be uh, – this is actually our 29th annual show, and – it's a way for us to give it back to our community members, our small businesses, and allow for uh, all of our community members to actually attend a, a great show and hopefully get some nice upgrades out of their homes. And price is pretty good, too, I hear. That's right. Yes, we have some <laughs> actual uh, show specials. Of, well, being one, free admission is always key, free parking, so you don't have to worry about any of that that you might have to at some other shows. But um, we, we're excited. We've got over $13,000 in giveaways there from different show sponsors uh we've got paint paint we've got giveaways we've got some coolers we've got uh 500 mastercard from wilson bank and trust we're just really excited to be back in person this year well kevin that's uh kevin sanders with us from wilson bank and trust that is why they are middle tennessee's community bank uh events like this and many others throughout the year kevin thanks so much and uh we'll uh hope you have a great show next week thank you we'll see you there harman garden expo Next weekend, Friday and Saturday, brought to you by Wilson Bank and Trust. Uh, all right, I uh, got just a couple minutes here. Uh, tomorrow, Big Orange Sunday. If you're a Tennessee fan or if you're not a Tennessee fan, just want to hear about <laughs> what your competition is going on. We're going to take a look at the uh, final, uh, where Tennessee is on the final national signing date after signing date number two. 20 incoming freshmen, uh, 11 offense, 9 defense, got a junior college transfer coming in, and a offensive tackle with three years eligibility. So 22 total uh, additions. I think they have 13 or 14 of those uh, that are early enrollees. Uh, we're going to take a look at the 2023 recruiting class in the state of Tennessee. You've heard me talk so often. Uh, this is true of almost any state, but particularly the University of Tennessee. Uh, the easiest way, it's not the only way, but the easiest way, easier way, I guess would be the better way to express it, of getting back into where you're competing for championships is to control uh, the state that you live in. In this instance, the state of Tennessee uh, is to control Middle Tennessee, which a lot of players are in. We're going to take a look at the 2023 top 15 prospects in the state. Ten of those, by the way, are right here in Middle Tennessee. Uh, and we're also going to look at 2022 where the top prospects went 
from the state of Tennessee. Tennessee only signing two players within the state. Uh, things are looking considerably better. Let me put it that way. We'll discuss that tomorrow on Big Horn Sunday. Hey, thanks for being part of the show today. Uh, we uh, will have everybody back next week. A lot to talk about again next week. Again, if you're a Tennessee fan, uh, we'll see you tomorrow at 8 o'clock right here on 104.5 The Zone. If not, don't want to listen to that. If you're a Tennessee fan, got other things to do. And don't forget we have the church, circus, the church segment that will get you out there after 25 minutes. But if not, we'll see you next Saturday right here, 9 o'clock, for Forklift Systems Football Saturday. Business has always been about turning a profit, making money. But can it stand for something more? Something beyond dollars and cents? We think so. We think that today, business has a higher calling, a purpose to be fair and just, to do right by their workers, customers, communities, and the environment. And it turns out companies successful doing that also do better for their bottom line. When you see the Just Capital seal, it means this company is a force for good. Visit JustCapital.com to learn more.